G'day mate, how's it going? So we're going to go on a walkabout here. So I was just reading a biography of John Locke and John Locke apparently didn't publish anything until his 50s. He published his most important works in his 60s but they all built upon thoughts that he developed in his younger days. Anyway, John Locke started out as quite the trad. So we think of John Locke today as the godfather of uh, classical liberalism, but uh, back in the day he was quite the trad. And then he had an encounter with the Chancellor of the Exchequer, so Lord Ashley Cooper. Okay, I hope I don't run into any snakes here. I see quite a few lizards, but uh, so far, thank God, no snakes. Wow, look at this. So the Chancellor of the Exchequer had a liver problem. And so he thought he could get some relief by going to the waters of Aistrop. And so when he goes to the waters, uh, he goes to Oxford to partake of this magical well of Aistrop. And the person who brings him 12 flasks of these magical waters turns out not to be the physician he was expecting, but John Locke. So John Locke studied medicine at Oxford. Science or economics, studied medicine, and he was able to cure Ashley Cooper of his liver problem, which was a deadly problem. But uh, John Locke, he operated and he cut out an abscess, and then he provided a drainage tool so that there would not be a new abscess, and uh, a drainage tool that went out. Lord Ashley Cooper's stomach, and so John Locke basically saved the life of Lord Ashley Cooper, and Ashley Cooper became his patron. And anyway, John Locke would not have become John Locke without Ashley Cooper. So Ashley Cooper introduced him to ways of religious tolerance and classical liberalism, and it was through the interchange of John Locke's mind with uh, Lord Ashley Cooper's mind that uh, John Locke became John Locke and wrote his two treatises on government and uh, his other famous works on religious toleration, etc. They probably would never have happened without Lord Ashley Cooper. So it just makes me think how collaborative intellectual activity is, right? So we don't, we don't just do things on our own. We produce in relationship to other people. And it was it was having this patron, Lord Ashley Cooper, that uh, produced John Locke of classical liberal fame that we know today. And it makes me think of the importance of co-hosts. So in a sense, uh, Lord Ashley Cooper was like the co-host for John Locke. Love the streams that I did with Casey, okay, who's now Godwood Podcast. And aside from that, he doesn't really care about my streams. But the shows that I did with Casey, those he wants to listen, those he wanted to listen to, listen to all of them. But uh, just the stuff I produce on my own just doesn't hold his attention. And so, similarly, other people they enjoyed the shows I did, say, with Kevin Michael Grace, but on my own, they could not give us toss. 
or they might like the shows I did with Dennis Dale, but on my own, right? They're not interested. They might be a fan of the shows I did with Vivian. Vivian Veritas, but uh, the shows I do on my own, they don't care. So, most of us need co-hosts, right? We need people who bring out the best in us. And we're in Ulladulla, mate. What a beautiful outlook here. We're about three hours south of Sydney. Let's see where this path leads. Leads to no good. So, just like uh, it's really hard to produce a compelling show you know, without a good co-host, it's, uh, it's often really hard to develop coherent thoughts without a good co-host. Okay, a little bit dicey here. Just gonna very gingerly make my way. Think about all those people who fall into their deaths while live streaming. I don't think I want to be one of them. So I saw a listicle the other day. It was like 77 great movies that we don't want to watch again. All right, so why would you not want to watch a great movie? because it's just so exhausting, right? So can you think of like great movies that you acknowledge are great, but you just don't want to look at them again because they're so exhausting? And it reminds me of a friend who, who said that uh, he didn't like to watch, you know, emotionally intense TV or, or movies because it's just too tiring. So does, does he have too much empathy or do people who don't find Emotionally intense movies, tiring, do they lack empathy? It reminds me of an article I was reading in Time Magazine about how much of our lack of energy comes from dissipating our energy. Like we, and we can dissipate it with like really emotionally intense movies and TV shows. So, yeah. That makes sense. It's like it's very easy to think, oh, I'm going to watch a movie and TV show and it's going to be a nice distraction. But uh, distraction is not recuperation. And so we think we're resting by watching TV or watching a movie, but uh, the distraction is not rest, it's not recuperation, and we're, we're losing our energy. It's just dripping from us. the leaks in our energy if we want to renew our vitality we're able to if we want to accomplish great things we have to stop stop uh, dissipating and so I think that goes for people too right there are people who are just absolutely exhausting to be around and so emotional vampires I think is one one name for them and we have to watch out for the emotional vampires we have to watch out for, say, a messy desk. Like not having our stuff organized, not having our life organized can be a 
tremendous dissipation of energy and uh, you have to you know have to watch out perhaps even for entertainment which uh, we think oh this is entertaining this is going to renew my spirit but uh, the emotionally intense entertainment may end up draining you so maybe distractions not rest and recuperation what do you think what does it mean someone can't watch emotionally intense uh, movies or TV shows without getting drained. Are they overly empathic? Certainly too much empathy, like too much of any quality can be a major problem.